Hey everybody, this is Seb Vandermeer and you are watching Into the Flow Podcast. All right, welcome to the Into the Flow Podcast. We're here today to talk with Jersey, uh, Josh Cronin. And uh, we're so glad that you could join us today and, and have a, a discussion about uh, who you are and, and your role in the industry. And um, I, uh, Sarah and I met you at the huge convention, I think it was in Branson, right? Yeah. Some of these huge conventions blur together. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I'm remembering a bunch of different window cleaners that I met and I'm just trying to keep track of which one at which convention. So. Um, but anyway, I wanted to uh, let our viewers or listeners know that um, you you currently run the WCR Nation. Um, it's a podcast on YouTube, right? And, and podcast platforms. Yeah. And other podcasts. So what other platforms are they? Are there? Uh, we're everywhere. So SoundCloud, you know, soundbeanpodcast.com, all those, just anywhere you find podcasts, basically. Okay, and you have, and correct me if I'm wrong, you have 169 episodes? Almost, actually, yeah. Yeah, by the time this airs, probably, yeah. Okay, cool. And you were saying that you're going to get out there and you're going to do a bunch of shows between now and the end of September? Yeah, so we're doing um, like uh, 11 different podcasts and shows and stuff just to kind of get back out and prep for fall. You know, fall's our busiest time of year for a lot of window cleaners so kind of get yeah. my face out there some more and see are if there, can help. are there some topics that you're shooting for that you're trying to address in particular because i i've listened to a lot of your podcasts i'm like what else can you possibly want to talk about <laughs> there is um there's a lot of stuff that you end up talking about more than once because in window cleaning as much as we feel like you know it's this giant industry it's not really there's not really a ton that is in the industry that um, is specific to other ones. And having, you know, you know, when you talk for a long period of time on a certain subject, it has to be something you could talk a long time. People are like, oh, you should do an episode on stack ladders. It's like, well, that would be a really hard 30 plus minutes to do on just one item like that, so. Yeah, um, so on that note, I did want to ask a little bit more about you and how you got into the industry. Um, you in you, you have a podcast that talks about who you are and you kind of go over your history briefly, but I was wondering like how you got involved in the industry. What, what were you doing before and how you gravitated to windows? Yeah. So, um, I started my window cleaning business about 15, 16 years ago now, something like that. And, um, I got into it kind of as a side hustle, you know, like anybody. And I had a full-time job at the time and, um, all of a sudden I did a home show and the home show did really well for us. So it was like, well, I could keep going to my job that I'm making X amount or, you know, my real job is getting in the way of my hustle. And that's kind of how I decided to take the leap into, uh, into uh, window cleaning. So what were you doing before and, and who introduced you to the side hustle? Like what, what, how did it occur to you to, to take on the side hustle? Yeah. So I was actually in banking. I worked for a credit union. I was a senior collector there for maybe six years or so, something like that. And um, I had uh, had time off from my work and uh, my brother had owned a painting company at the time. 
So I said, Hey, I'm just, I'm bored. I got time off. It, the, the, we didn't do what we thought we were going to do in the vacation. Ended up, my wife had to work. And I said to him, I'm like, Hey, you know, let me just hang out with you guys during the day. So we happened to be on a job and the guy handed him uh, a bottle of Windex and a squeegee and was like, Hey, can you clean the windows when you guys are done painting? And he gave it to me. Cause I was like, you know, just there to hang out basically. And uh, I liked it. I got done with it. I'm like, man, that was kind of fun. Right. And uh, did some research on it back in the day. There wasn't as much research, but did some research and was like, Oh, you can actually make a living doing this. So that's kind of how I started it as a side hustle. And I always like to have something on the side. Just it's fun for my ADD to kind of do lots of different things. And that's kind of how I got into it. Yeah. I think I, I don't even know what my side hustle would be from window cleaning. I mean, it, it has, it has enough intricacies and, and variations and offshoots that I feel like it, uh, it tends to just capture my full attention. Um, I was used, I was in the environmental field before and I had, uh, I was working for the city of Dallas. I was working in the water utilities as an environmental guy, safety and environmental. And then I, um, I was also waiting tables and I just like, you know what, I gotta find a better way to support the family. So I, um, uh, I was talking to my dad and he, he's been a window cleaning. He's had multiple window cleaning businesses and he kept telling me about how great it was and the pay. And, and so I just decided to experiment with it. And, um, you know, at some point I ended up getting fired from my day job, not from the city job, but from <clears throat> a private company that I ended up with. And my side hustle became the main hustle and then the, the, the restaurant job was like something that I had to use to kind of, kind of make, help make that transition. But then ultimately it's now the full-time hustle. So. Yeah. You know, it's, it's crazy. Like life in general is kind of like riding a bike on the sand. Like you can kind of see where you want to go, but you don't know how you're going to get there. You know, like life kind of dictates where you're going. The same thing with you. Like if you wouldn't have gotten fired, then would you have really taken the jump? If you, you know, didn't have the security of the other job would you have still gotten into window cleaning it's it's pretty cool how everything starts i love hearing like starting stories like that yeah and i remember being so scared because i was so excited about working for this private company you know some you know municipal jobs aren't like well known for their pay and so I was trying to support a family of five you know three kids and my wife and myself and the um you know, I was just getting tired of doing the day job and the weekend job at this at the restaurant. And I was like, how can I figure out, how can I, what can I do to, you know, take back my time? I wasn't spending holidays with the kids. I wasn't spending weekends with the kids. And so um, when I got fired, I was so scared. But fortunately, I was already dabbling with window cleaning. And I remember making that call to Sarah. I was like, you know, I think we can do this. But it was a very scary phone call. And I just couldn't believe that I was in this situation. And then, you know, she, she was really quick on the pivot. She was like, well, I've heard about this next door app. Let's go ahead and get the name out there. And I think we were one of the first, I mean, to start messing with next door, at least in our area. And that really kind of one job led to another job. And it was like, wow. Um, I remember being excited and very nervous at the same time. <laughs> and you've got two yeah. kids also, you said you have a, 14 year old right and an 11 year old yep. two girls yes so i've got yes. a 14 year old as well and i have a 12 year old so oh nice 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm telling you like anybody who's like, what should I do? How do I get into business? Like the hardest step you'll ever do is taking the first step and like having a spouse that's like, okay, we're doing this, you know, like that's huge too, because a lot of people get held down by that. They, they get held down by the lack of security, you know? So it's, it's, it's scary, but yet it's like a, it's a necessity to kind of make it to the next step. It's, it's the hardest part of business. Well, and you liked it enough to stick with it for 15 years before you sold it 15, 16 years. And I was listening to the, your episode about how you sold it. And I'm still trying to wrap my mind about how that works, but the, um, you know, I was just wondering like sales, you, you started this podcast and you work with WCR how did that relationship come about and how did you get into sales going from banking to window cleaning to, to sales? Like how did that happen? Yeah. So, um, being in window cleaning for so long, I've done other little kind of shows and I always like helping people like that's fun to me. Well, when I moved and that's the reason I sold my company, I wanted to move South, uh, where it's not so cold as it is in Wisconsin. Um, but when we moved south, um, I was still kind of consulting for my old business. Um, and I had a four-year consulting kind of deal worked out with them. Um, so I'm like, oh, well, I'll move. And then I'll just start like my own window cleaning, pressure washing here and just do a few jobs just to kind of subsidize that. And um, I've known Chris and Alex from Window Cleaning Resource forever, it feels like. And they're like, well, why don't you do some live chat at night? I'm like, ah, oh, that's fine. You know, that'll at least give me another form of income, right? You know, the, the wealthiest of uh, all people have multiple forms of income. I'm like, yeah, I'll do that for a while. And um, it ended up being that I had too many hats on. I was trying to do too many things. So it was like, you know, all day people would call and talk to me at night and then they'd want to do something during the day and I'd be out with a pressure washer and then I'd have to call them back. And finally I was talking with Chris. He's like, just do this full time. Like, just go get rid of that, take away with some of your hats. And then as soon as your consulting is gone, you know, you'll have even more. And, and that's kind of how I got into it. So I get to still help people, right? Same thing as you do when you're talking to somebody in person, but I get to start new businesses again on somebody else's, you know, Hey, this is what I think would be awesome, you know? And uh, most importantly, I still stay in the industry that I feel like I know and have the best kind of uh, knowledge on. So it's, it's really a nice kind of pairing for that. When I was listening to your episode, I was thinking like how, cause this is the question that we're struggling with right now is how did you, so you start off as a, as a single, you know, you were out there in the field by yourself initially. How did you grow? Like what were the steps that you took to get to a couple of, technicians and did you kind of you know flounder a little bit I feel like I'm floundering and, and messing up the whole process but you know having employees has been probably the most stressful aspect of window cleaning like uh, I'm, I'm most at peace when I'm on a job by myself I don't have to worry mm -hmm. about someone else on a ladder or breaking something that in the client's home you know what are some how did you grow from that one-man crew to where you got to sell it well, truth be told, I did one job by myself before my brother's friend who uh, I was saying that I had helped them in their painting. They had a business that was just enough for beer money kind of thing. And uh, his partner that was in the business, his name was TJ. And um, I called him one day. I was like, dude, are you doing anything? Do you want to come make some other money doing this? You know? 
and it was just for boredom. Like I was opposite of you where you said you like to just kind of like, you know, zone out, get your work done, not talk. I'm a big talker. So I just wanted somebody there that made the days not so boring. So he kind of came in and helped, but was never a real employee. Like we kind of, it was so early on that we were like, ah, we'll go, we'll go play Wii or something, you know, instead of work today and we'll go do this. So it kind of was a slow progression, but, um, when you, if you truly want to grow with employees, when you get to the point where you have more actual work to do than um, you are comfortable with. So I always said the 20 rule. So in a week, you should be doing 20 hours of window cleaning and the other 20 can go to marketing. Um, if you start getting over that by yourself and you know you're growing, then you can bring on somebody else. You start getting 30 hours, two people, that 30 hours will be 15 hours. So it's hard to get an employee then at 15 hours. So then you have to wait to 40 hours. Once you have 40 hours with one person, break it into two. Now it's 20 per person. So it's kind of, as you start getting more work than you have time to do with doing everything else, that's when you start bringing employees on. And they will always be the hardest part because now you have somebody else's life and livelihood in your hands. You know, you talk right. about kids, like if, if, you know, COVID happened, and the biggest people that were hit with all this was people that had employees because then they say, okay, I have five families, right? I have 15 kids. I have, you know, all this stuff that is under your umbrella. And now all of a sudden I can't provide work for those people. Like that's the biggest, the hardest part is people, you see a lot of it too. And guys that are running multiple crews and things that they're just like, I just need the work for my guys. Like I stopped taking a paycheck so they could have hours. Like, all of a sudden the burden now is on your shoulders to make sure that those guys are taken care of where the stigma is kind of like, Oh, you're a boss. You don't care. But the reality is like you, you are the reason that they bought a new car. You're the reason that they yeah. feed their family. You're the reason that, and all that kind of comes back onto you. So now all of a sudden, instead of just having, Oh, it'll be great to have somebody do the work. All of a sudden now you just took on this burden of a whole nother human or family onto your shoulder. So, it's always the toughest. Um, and it's always the one where you feel like you're flubbing because if there's 40 hours of work that you can't produce 50 hours, right? You can't, you can't yeah. do more than you have. And it's, it's always tough. It's always a juggle basically. So did you have a, you know, aside from the banking, did you have a business background before you, um, started growing the window cleaning business or did it just come intuitively to you just in terms of this just makes sense. This is the math. Start with 20 yeah. and 20 and then 30 and 30, whatever, you know, how did, yeah. did you have a business background? I was always the kid <clears throat> who had something like I, I had a bike shop when I was little. I had uh, I sold candy out of my backpack at school. Like I was always that one that always kind of had something going on. So business has always interested me. Um, so going into business, it was like the most, fun adventure ever like I was that nerd who was more excited to get business cards that had my name on it like you know that just I wanted to be that guy who had you know a stationery or that I had a program that did my you know accounting and all that stuff that's all been very very interesting to me so I feel like in business and this you know anybody watching listening can be mad all they want but in business you can sell or produce anything, but business is still the same, right? Yes, there's nuances of like, you have to know how to specifically sell cleaning services or a t-shirt if you're selling a t-shirt, right? But the structure of business, right? Like how to structure business, how to, 
delegate how to kind of run that side, I think is no matter what industry you're in. So it was pretty smooth for me, but I remember early on having, I think it was like my first or second year where actually it was maybe third year. It doesn't matter, but we got hit with taxes really, really hard. Like I went to my accountant who we were always the slowest. She was, we were always right up to the edge and she was a friend of my father. So that's how we got it, of course. So I couldn't say anything, but she's, wow, you guys did really good this year. I said, no, oh, thank you. Thank you. She's like, oh yeah. So here's your tax bill. This is due tomorrow or it was due. This was a Thursday and it was due that Monday. And it was like four days I had to come up with all this money. And I'm like, oh man, like, you know, so there's always been times where you struggle and all of a sudden I had no money yeah. to pay that tax bill and to keep my employees and do this. There's been a lot of struggles, but I feel like in business, like as scary and how horrible we'd say it is, that's part of the fun of it. Like look back when you started your business and look at all those things. Like, oh, do you remember like the first time you got a check from a com like a commercial or route job, you know, or like the first time a homeowner paid you or tipped you or like all those little things where, you know, that kind of sucks at the time, but it's all part of the experience. Yeah. So you clearly that you, you were handed that bill and were you totally freaked out? I mean, how did you get, how did yeah. you talk yourself through paying that off and still holding on to your business? I mean, that's, that's not an easy thing to do. That's yeah. it's like, that could be daunting for, you know, a lot of people. They're like, I'm out, I'm done. I'm throwing in the towel. Well, here's, here's where you kind of have a benefit is you have an instant partner, right? You have your wife who, and I don't know, I'm putting words in your mouth. You probably have everything you know about your business. She knows about your business. And there's kind of that thing with my wife. It's opposite where she is uh, great at a lot of things. And she's a nurse. She's been in labor and delivery for ever. And you know, now she does, uh, you know, chemo stuff. So she's able to do the pressure. She's able to do the on the spot. Here's the thing. Hey, this person, you know, they need blood. They're, 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 they're going South, right? You know, she can do all that. But when it comes to worrying about things that are out of her control, it's not her forte. So when something like that comes up, I kept everything from her. I didn't tell her the negatives of anything because it was my burden, not her. So I didn't need the whole family being sad about this. So that weekend, I remember like trying to just figure out what's going on. I was researching like what happens if you don't pay it right away? How do you do this? How do you do that? And, you know, in business, there's, there's always a, there's always a headache that is going to be in front of you that seems more daunting than it, than it really is. And that particular issue, you know, we didn't have the money, but we talked to the IRS and they did a uh, payment plan for us. And then we had to talk to the state, but the state wouldn't do something like that. And in when everything was said and done, it wasn't the perfect situation, but it was, here's a problem. Let's handle it kind of thing. Um, and just keeping your head up to everything else. Remember in Wisconsin, when you come out of winter, you're broke. Like you, I don't do windows, December, January, February, most of March. I don't do any window cleaning because it's just too cold. There's so much snow. There's too cold. So going into April, you know, and needing a payment, it was like, you know, you already got dirt in your bank account trying to make things happen. So it was, it was a learning experience. And from that I've, I've changed everything and how we spend and save and plan and, uh, uh, disaster forecasts and things like that all because of that one thing. So it ended up being a positive. I feel like, you know, if you could, 
if we went back and looked at like a Christmas Carol and we looked at Scrooge's story, I feel like there's like a, a backstory. There's like, okay, there's probably a good reason why Scrooge was really stressed out and only focused oh, yeah. on money. <laughs> yeah. um, it'd be interesting to learn a little bit more about like, you know, they should, someone should do a movie about that and work life balance. And how do you, how do you balance the two? Cause it's like, it's you know, you you're always carrying your family life into the field. I mean, you're always getting phone calls from family, from your wife and kids. And, and, and it's hard to leave work outside when you, when you come home and um, it's, you know, that's, I feel like what I'm challenged with right now is figuring out how to just, you know, turn that switch off and, and establish a boundary. It's like, okay, we're getting a phone call from a client at six o'clock PM and I'm about to sit down at the dinner table, you know, whereas in the past I would scramble for the phone and try to, you know, get that business. Now I'm like, well, I really need to make this family time sacred. That's yeah. probably one of the bigger challenges I'm we're facing now. And then on top of that, just, you know, finding good people to uh, good technicians and then a training program is what we're, what we're like trying to build at the moment. And that's not mm -hmm. easy at all. Um, you mainly did commercial work, right? You, your business was mainly commercial or did you do residential as well? We did mainly residential. We were about that 70, 30 split pretty close to. How did you, how did you get into the, into that? Was it just word of mouth or did you actually start with marketing? You had an official marketing approach and sales approach. How did, how did you go about that? Yeah. So I'm a huge fan of diversifying like jobs, right? So we did route, we did commercial and we did residential. I didn't specifically go to either of them unless I was marketing to one or the other. So you can still do all of those services. And we had eventually different <clears throat> crews that would do different things. So they didn't really cross over too much, but focusing on where your money's coming from is usually the best, right? If you, you know, you're not going to step over pennies to make or step over dollars to make pennies. You're going to find where everything is and houses for us were really our, our big um, boost, our big chunk. So we focused a lot on that. We focused on getting referrals. We focused on that side of it. But then because we were in Wisconsin, our only window cleaning that wasn't a house was, you know, January, like I said, that December, January, February, March, that was, route you know we did all of our big commercial projects in march if it was if the water wasn't freezing still so you know doing that you kind of fluff different areas it's like you know working out if you don't like your shoulders you're going to work that area a little bit harder than you do the other stuff it's kind of that same concept where you know as we felt like hey we really want to boost up route routes route at one point we wanted to double route and then we wanted to double that double and we wanted to just blow route out because it was just the frequency was there. So we took all of that advertising, all of our time, all of our ads and everything, and then focused it on route at that particular time, because, you know, everything else kind of still running and I wanted everything to grow, but I really wanted that to grow. So kind of focusing your marketing efforts really kind of helps you grow one way or the other. Did you prefer one method over the other, like EDDM, or did you have a mul like multiple marketing, you know, streams how did you you know yeah. what was your what did you find to be most successful did you actually trial and error that for a little bit yeah it's, it's, the hardest thing in marketing in general is 
And I just did this. So I have to do a lot of Facebook stuff with, uh, with what I do with WCR. And one of the guys in one of the groups had posted a flyer and it was really busy and hard to read and everything. And, and he said, what do you guys think? And I thought he was really looking for an answer. I said, it's a little busy. You know, you might want to clear things. Well, of course he goes, I like it. It's great. You know? Okay. So <laughs> here's the thing in marketing, right? What you do is what you like. If you created the, the into the flow logo that's behind you, if you created that, you love that logo. And the reason is because you created it, right? Otherwise, if you didn't like it, you wouldn't have done that or you would have changed something. So the same thing is in marketing. When you create a marketing piece or an ad campaign or an EDDM flyer or you do anything, you're not your target market. It doesn't matter what you think because I'm not paying for window cleaning. I have to get that to my target market. And the only way to right. do that is to split test. So split testing is something people really, really hate to do, but it's super, super valuable because if you look at this, like the science and like uh, the mental side of sales, the color red triggers something. The color blue triggers something. The color yellow triggers something. All of those trigger something different. So how do you know that the red background is the one you like? Because you like red. You know, how do you know that the yellow background's speaking your, your message? Well, I like the way it looks. Okay. But split testing it, I mean, we've done split tests even down to the color of backgrounds where we did a blue and red one. Hey, red was more people called on the red flyer than the blue one. Everything else was absolutely the same. The only reason to find that out is to do split testing. So it was super, super hard for dialing everything in, but that's, that's your job. You know, the business you have may last you, you know, 30 years. Start split testing now and eventually after X amount of years, you go, hey, guess what? Red always works better for us. You know, that picture, our people are more dog people than cat people. So don't put cats in the, like little things like that you tailor and you kind of find out what works. And eventually when you talk to these big guys who say that their ROI on mailers are 3%, you're going, how the heck can you do that? It's because they split tested for the past 10 years and they found out in their market and their people, this is what works. That's why they put that out. So it's the, it's the long game really. I have never heard that split test. I've never heard of split testing before. Really? Um, and I was, do you discuss that in one of your WCR nation podcasts? I yeah. need to go back and listen to that one. What do you remember what episode that was? Probably not. I don't. It's <laughs> out, like, of yes. <laughs> out of 169, out of 169 episodes. But um, you know, what's crazy. I'll tell you a split testing thing that we did that really did shock me is we split tested with, um, so we have a printing department obviously, but at the time, uh, we were running through, uh, got print. Got print makes some amazing, actually here, I'll show you like full color, super glossy, you know, these like nice thick card, like that piece to me, I feel like, ah, that's so nice. Right. And then I got to thinking, well, if I'm sending this out and my return is not that high, why is it? Is it the piece that's not tested enough? Is it the colors? Is it the, I mean, it could be anything. Right. And then I thought, well, people may think that we're too expensive because we're sending out a fancy flyer, even though a flyer like that costs you like two or three cents to print, if not less, depending on how many quantities. Right. So I went to our local printing company that we actually clean their storefront windows, but uh, I had uh, 500 flyers made up um, with the yellow canary, you know, black printing with the yellow canary paper, you know, and it was just generic, right? Like, stuck a picture on there, you know, it was black and white, no color. It was the most, like the most thing I've ever been ashamed of for doing. 
and sent that out. And our return on that was a point and a half, a percent and a half higher than we are when we send out our glossy ones. Wow. It was because people thought in their brains. And again, we did some questioning on that for people, but what we figured is, is that even though in this other piece, it costs us five cents a piece to mail or uh, to print the high gloss, super thick, you know, UV coated cost us two cents. They still assumed we were more expensive of a company because we sent out the fancy one. So from that point on, we started doing different areas. We'd target with different mailers. Um, you know, if we were getting into an affluent area that, um, you know, they were hoity-toity and it was more of what I have and what do you have kind of thing, we would send a fancier flyer with fancier pictures and fancier font because that was what they connected with. If we were getting into what our kind of um, bread and butter is, is cookie cutter houses, right? We want to be somewhere where people have just enough uh, extra money that they're comfortable and prideful of being able to hire somebody to do the windows, but not so fancy that, you know, all of a sudden now it's this big thing. And that's where our money kind of came from. We would send them a completely different flyer. So huh. it's pretty, it's pretty interesting to kind of see how people connect and, and what pieces people connect to. And it's, it's different than you think. It always is different than you think. Yeah. I don't think that we've, you know, we, haven't really dabbled in marketing and advertising yet. Uh, we, I think we tried to look at Google AdWords and we're, you know, thinking about SEO and that kind of thing. But right now we haven't even, we've kind of grown on word of mouth referrals. But as you know, when you start having a, you know, a crew and you start wanting to multiply to multiple crews, you're going to have to find a way to put more fuel in the furnace for them to be able to keep up with to, for more work on yeah. the calendar. And that's kind of been a scary part. It's like, okay, uh, what goes first, the cart or the horse? What, what yeah. side is this? What side is the cart? What is the horse? And so Sarah and I are kind of, uh, you know, peering into the abyss and trying to figure out how we're going to, um, you know, build that second crew and then how we can sustain that second crew. So those are some of the questions that we have. We'll probably have to come back and, listen to your podcast about that but well, you also you have an episode that actually talks about um tips tricks and hacks for a killer company you also talk about selling route work on one of your podcasts and then how to get a how to bid which those are on my to-do list to listen to but i was really curious about the one regarding running a business through coronavirus because um did you put that one together before you sold the business or after, and you just kind of went back and looked at how you would do it? Like what, did, what was that like when coronavirus hit? How did you keep things going? Well, um, through that, I did not uh, own my business with coronavirus in, in, in general. I did go through the housing collapse and, you know, 2008, nine, that kind of time. But uh, we did go through it with WCR because obviously on a testing side of things, nationwide companies, some companies say in Utah, never even shut down, but other companies in Boston are still feeling it. You know, they're still having a terrible time. So to kind of see it all over there across the border, you kind of see what people do and what people, how it works and, and all that. And a lot of this it's economics in general, which is a super boring topic. If you're not really into economics in general, it's the word economics is as boring as like, you know, bulls and, and uh, you know, markets and things like that. 
But the whole idea on anything, why before an election do the stocks always drop? Why uh, when a housing market did what it did, why did the markets drop? It's all uncertainty. And uncertainty is why we didn't have work for a while. Like, you know, in coronavirus, all of a sudden everybody goes, hey, uh, hey, uh, guys, just so you know, we're shutting the world down right now because this giant virus is coming in to kill everyone. Like, that's how the beginning of this thing started. And everybody went, uh, okay, right? But they didn't know, okay, when are we going back to work? Are we ever going back to work? Like, my, my dad right now is still off work because he does trade show exhibits. He works for one of the big trade show houses. He's still not working because there's no trade shows, right? So you didn't know or your customers didn't know Am I going back to work? When am I going back to work? Is it going to be the same work? Am I only working from home? Like, am I going to have to sell my house? Like, how am I going to pay my mortgage if I don't? Like, there was so many uncertainty things that people weren't comfortable going, I need window cleaning, right? But as it kind of went on, you know, after the first month, and then all of a sudden places kind of started relaxing a little bit. Okay, we're doing this. Oh, we can see the numbers now are coming in like this. So, you know, China started dropping in their numbers. You know, and all these things started coming in. People started grasping and being able to like envision what this mysterious thing was. Like, okay, well, it seems like we're going to be out of work for another month. Or it seems like we're going to be out of work for maybe another two months. But now we're getting government subsidies. We're getting our unemployment. There's blah, blah. People are now comfortable. As they started getting comfortable and they're being in their own houses, they start hiring services. Like, these windows are horrible. If I'm going to be here and now I'm working from home, I'm going to get our windows cleaned, right? So as people started getting comfortable, it started coming back. And then everything paired together is why everybody seemed to have such a big boom right after everything went to crap. And that was because of that same thing. All of a sudden, people were like, okay, now we know what's going on. We're certain of where the economy is going. We're certain of where our job is or that we're going to make enough money in unemployment and everything else. Let's go and start doing these services again. And that's kind of where that whole rebound kind of came from. Mm. So you talked about sales in your, in, in a couple of your podcasts. I was curious, did you, so you, it sounds like sales was your thing, but it wasn't called sales initially. It was more like you like to help people. Um, yeah. And sales is like that language that allows you to connect with people, identify what they need, what they want and how you can help them basically. And um, I, so it sounds to me like it was, it's not much of a mental switch for you. You're, you're like, this is what I like to do because that's all sales is. You're helping people. Yeah. For me, it's been a little bit more challenging. Like for some reason there's been this, uh, you know, I don't want to I don't want to, I think negative is a strong word, but sometimes I view sales in, in a negative way. Um, mm -hmm. And so for me, I know that I've got to figure out a way to turn that switch in my brain to just acknowledging that you're helping someone you're meeting a need and yeah. um so we're like you know we don't have we we're like you mainly we have residential but i wouldn't even know the first thing about getting route work i wouldn't even know yeah. like knocking on someone's you know storefront saying hey looks like you could use you know uh, looks like you could use some professional window cleaning like that yeah. would kind of that would that that part makes me nervous so here's, here's something to kind of go off of that too, is if you saw, if you saw a little kid, two years old, you're at a party, right? All of a sudden the little kid goes sprinting off towards a busy road and you see cars going, nobody's noticing this little kid, but you see it. 
you would do everything in your power to knock people over, to catch the little kids, stop them from going in the road because you knew there was only one ending to that. That's great. And that was 100% the thing that you needed to do. You're 100% sure that there was no questions, right? Anything in your way, you would end up done. You would push people, little old ladies out of the way to save this little kid, right? Well, that's kind of sales is that if you actually believe in your company and you truly that say, you know, my company is the best company. I'm going to be the best window cleaner that you, you have. I know that what I do and how I treat my customers and what I do, I know that that's the best. Then sales is easy because then you're just explaining to people why you're the best. You know the answer already. If you're ever, oh man, I, I don't know. You know, like it's hard in the beginning on big jobs too, where your first $10,000 job, you're going, oh man, that's, that's just too much. Well, it's because you're not sure that they're happy with the 10,000. It's not that you don't think that your job is going to be the best job. It's not that you're not 100% confident in your services and what you provide. It's that you're not sure about what they're going to think on that other side. So getting over the mindset of just sales is explaining things to people when they ask questions and letting them make their own decision. That's kind of what sales is. You're selling yourself, you're selling your business, you're selling your window cleaning and services. It's, you're just explaining it to people. You know that a storefront, if you walked into a restaurant and the windows looked like a horse sneezed on them, you probably wouldn't eat there. Like, you know that. So knowing that they need to have their windows so that they have a good, clean look, is it's easy. Yeah. We actually just submitted an estimate for around that amount for a larger commercial property. And, you know, that particular size estimate, I, I still haven't gotten used to submitting. Like, it's still like, yeah. you know, I'm really nervous about hitting the send button. Um, yeah. But I imagine how, the how more, much, go ahead. How much did the building, how much, like the complex that you bid, how much do you think it costs them to buy or own or make that or build it? This particular complex is, is in the realm, is in this realm of like, I wouldn't even know what to guess. Like yeah. it's huge. It, it took me maybe 30 minutes to do the complete walkthrough, just, just to do wow. the walkthrough. They've got a security guard. Uh, they wanted us to look at four different buildings. Um, and, and so for me to like, try to put myself in that position of uh, like, what do they budget for maintenance and that kind of thing? I would, I would probably be amazed if I could just, yeah. you know, be a fly on the wall and see what their budget is. I'm sure that, I'm sure that what I submitted was probably not even, it's probably nothing to them. Yeah. But we well, were building this on behalf of another contractor. So it's like, uh, you know, it's like, uh, do, did we meet their requirements? That's kind of the other level, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It's, it's tough when you look at like, say a building, a complex that costs $10 million. You and I can't think of like owning a $10 million. I don't know about you, I guess, but I, I can't think about owning a $10 million property, right? So when you look at the numbers in something that big and you're going, oh my gosh, $10,000, it's like, yeah, but they have a $10 million property. They're spending on average a 10th of the cost of the property every year and maintaining it. They probably spend more than $10,000 to cut their lawn every month, you know? So there's a lot of things that go into it where we get stuck on numbers and we get stuck almost selling to ourselves. Like $10,000 is more than I would ever pay for windows. But for them, they're like, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. that's where we need to be. And, you know, sometimes <clears throat> it really depends on how, on how you frame the question. So this isn't directly related, but 
for some reason, when you talked about that, I was thinking about office space. So at some point, Sarah and I want to get a legitimate brick and mortar office space for our, you know, to have all of our equipment, to get it out of our garage, to have a training area, to be more official and legit, I guess is the word I'm looking for. But, you know, when we were talking about it, we were just thinking, well, that's going to just be another monthly expense. <clears throat> that's going to be, you know, I don't know if we can afford that right now. And then we just started having a conversation about, okay, well, um, right now, here's how much time our team is currently spending on the road, driving from their house to our house to pick up a work vehicle, then spending another, you know, hour and a half to two hours in traffic, just getting to their first job. And at the end of the day, returning. And then when you start putting the numbers in terms of productivity, you start to realize, well, geez, if, if they were 20 minutes closer to their job every day, then it almost pays for itself. Yeah. It's just, that's just an interesting switch. If you it just, the question that you ask determines the, the outcome. And it, it's just weird how three, five, three to five years into the business, we start thinking that way, like, you know, so um, we're now, that's one of our big projects is looking at an office space to see. And now it might be a good time for us to look at, you know, space because it's, you know, people are working from home. So it might be the best time ever. Yeah. It's, it's a big, it's, especially if you're going to hire people, you know, like if you want crews and things and more employees and you, the more crews you have, the more office staff you have to have. And I'm not really feeling super awesome about having office staff in my house, you know, like that's weird. Like they got to come to your house then and park in one of your bedrooms. Like there's a lot of things that having that business opens up as you get bigger and bigger and bigger. That's what has to happen. You're doing job interviews at your location as compared to in your kitchen, you know, like there's a lot of pros to that. Yeah. And then, you know, on the one hand you might think, well, I don't know if I'd be interested in working with someone if they couldn't see past the fact that we're still a owner operator business and that they have to come into our, you know, park on our street and pick up a truck. But on the other hand, you're dealing with a different kind of person when they see your business as legitimate and they see mm -hmm. an actual brick and mortar office and there's an actual training area dedicated to training. Like, I wonder what kind of person you begin to attract. Like I, I remember posting the question on Facebook and some people were like, um, yeah, we still work in our office and you had the whole spectrum. Some people had larger places, larger brick and mortar. Some people still working at their home. And then you had those occasional pearls of wisdom from a technician that said, you know what? I don't think I would have ever, applied to a company that didn't have a brick and mortar you know and so you're thinking well geez um hey it's hard to judge it's hard to judge but um well go ahead well i was just gonna say the, the big thing for us was when we got insurance for our, we, we ended up going through temp agency who offered uh vision medical dental term life term disability paid holidays all that stuff came through with uh um uh that when we switched over to that, all of a sudden, and we had already had a building at that time, but when we switched over to that, all of a sudden, that was in our job postings. You know, it wasn't like, no, we don't offer benefits. No, you know, we don't have a, it was all of a sudden, it was like, yeah, of course, that's what, that's what a real job does. The people that started coming and the mindset of them was like, I have this job. I have this thing. It's a job. It's a, before that, people were almost like, I, I do this thing. Yeah, I make some money. I, I'm a, I clean windows, you know. It was, it was a professional jump where people all of a sudden had more pride in their business because they, there was more perceived value to them. Did you notice a shift in the type of, of people that you attracted to your business? Hugely, yeah. 
So um, a lot of the times we would have um, the candidates, we would do job interviews uh, in the first one, just the amount of people who decided to start coming to the job interviews, you know, when you book, oh, great, hey, do your phone interview. All right, Tuesday at one, we'll meet. We were doing like one in eight were showing up before we did that. And it actually went up to about one in five would show up to, uh, to an interview after that. So just people just thought of it as being more of a, it was like a real job. You know, there's still people who love the fact that my kids would come down to the office sometimes, you know, and that my dog was there. Like they understood that that was a, it was a small family, you know, kind of business that cared, but yet they still liked the fact that they felt secure and being, you know, you're trading an hour of your life for an hour of work. So people felt more secure that way. And, you know, security is, is huge. Yeah. And I would say that the, sometimes when you're crunching the numbers, it's hard to capture. Um, it's hard to ca capture some of those more intangible benefits. Like I'm sure that a numbers person could do this where they could actually say, okay, so before you had your brick and mortar office, um, this is how long it actually took you to create another team. And to you, you've had a business for a while. Uh, that team means, okay, I've got, a, I don't know what your numbers are, but maybe it's like, okay, I'm, going to expand to another crew. I'm going to dedicate 150 to $200,000. That's going to give me the truck, the training, the equipment, all that stuff. Well, now rather than waiting, you know, let's say you get a surge in business now, rather than waiting on the, on the fact that you were only attracting one or two, um, you know, prospects, you're now attracting four to five prospects at a time. So you can fill that crew much quicker and yeah. you can actually hit the ground running a lot quicker and then of course there's that element of pride that you can't capture either like yeah these people are now proud to be a part of your business in our case it's Dutch shine but um you know but it's still a scary thing like still do we want to make that kind of monthly payment but i think we're really close i think we're really close and it, it's going to be exciting so um i wanted to ask you about customer expectations like what are some of the ways that you set customer expectations? You've been in business for 15, 16 years. You started a couple businesses. You sold the first one, then you moved to North Carolina. You started one briefly and then you sold that. Like, what are some of your tricks for, for identifying the customer's needs and setting their expectations? Yeah, so it sounds weird, but if I told you and I'm in a room and I'm trying to open one of your storm windows. Uh, I don't know, know if you have storm windows there, but, and I know that this is an old storm window. It doesn't look good. I say, Hey, I'm, I'm working at this window and I can't get it open and I don't want to break it. And the lady goes, Oh man, I really wish you could get that open. I, I can try a little bit more, but there's a chance that I could break this window. That's okay. Let's just, let's see if we can get it done. And I start working on it and I break the window and I go, listen, we tried, you know, I was careful, but uh, I broke that window. The person is going to say, Oh man, well, all right. Well, we tried, right? right? You just broke someone's window and they're completely okay <laughs> with it because they had the expectation. They knew what was going on. So I'm a really, really, really big fan of over explaining and over, over, I guess, letting people know their expectations of what's going to happen. Like when we get to a job, okay, today we're doing outside only. So that means that your outside frames are going to be done, but we won't open the windows or anything like that. You chose not to get screens today. The person goes, oh, great. Okay, yeah. When I'm done with that job, no one ever go, hey, you know what? There was like, you know, water in the inside zill. Or, hey, uh, the screens were still like, 
they knew right out of the gate what the expectations were. And it sounds weird because you're like, well, they should know that. Yes, but a lot of people don't get windows cleaned or it's just anything. If you go to the mechanic, they show you everything they're going to do before they do it. And it's so the expectations are there. Like if your car just breaks, it doesn't work. It doesn't matter what that price is. It's once you understand the price, you're okay with it because you need your car back. That's where the expectations come in. If you, if you don't meet expectations in any aspect of your business, that's when you get a bad review. The only yeah. reason you get a bad review is because some expectation, either quality, uh, staff, um, never price because we talk about price before, right? Those are the big problems. Those are the big reasons that people will then get called, hey, you know what? We had everything done and there was still, you know, the back patio just, it looked awful. And you come back and go, well, yeah, that was travertine, travertine, whatever, tile, right? That never looks great when it's done. You actually it just, it's clean, but it doesn't look great. Well, I didn't know that. It just doesn't look clean. You know, if you would have explained that, then they would have known you wouldn't have had the bad review. Yeah. You know, usually the ability to communicate to a client customer expectations and setting customer expectations, usually that process is informed by a series of bad stories of bad occurrences that you didn't take the time to do, or you didn't know that you needed to explain that. Like uh, we had recently a, a one-star Yelp review uh, and it was from a client who we uh, wrote out everything in the invoice or the estimate. You know, here's how much it's going to cost. This is exterior only. This is what our technicians are going to do. And then come to find out, she was very upset to learn that um, that we didn't do in and out. For some reason, when she looked at the estimate, she saw, oh, they're going to come and clean in and out of my house for this price. And... Um, you know, it turns out there was just exterior only. And she was furious when she realized that. And even though we had communicated several times, so part of it's like, okay, how, what could I have done differently? And we acknowledge that in the response to the Yelp. It's like, okay, well, we, we communicated this, we communicated that. We're not exactly sure what we could have done further, but let yeah. us know if there was something we could have done further. Have you ever had that situation where there was just, a misunderstanding in terms of in and out and pricing. How did you handle that? Yeah. So uh, a lot of times, again, you know, from that little experience you had, you're going to probably change. Okay. Well, when we talk to people, we're going to do this, right? You're going to get something from it. And that's the same thing. When, when you have any issue that comes up, you either have it be a mistake, which means you've learned nothing from it or a lesson if you've learned something from it. Right. And I've had a lot of lessons where uh, people have come to me and I've done bidding over the phone. And um, there was a time when we used Responsibit, which I love Responsibit, but they, um, I had put pricing on there and somebody did, it was like 12 windows. And I'm like, oh, that's a little job, whatever. We planned it. We got there and there was like 52 windows. I don't even know what the person was thinking. I don't know any of that stuff. But what we say is when we get to a job and we knew as soon as we pulled up, like this is not right. Something was wrong. So we explained to them, hey, on the form, you said you had 12 windows, but there's actually 52 windows. You know, and she's, oh, well, I thought it was this and this and this. I said, well, we can do two, two ways of that. We can actually do just 12 windows because that's what you thought you were paying for, right? That was your expectation. Right. Or we can do everything and it's going to be this price or we can do any variance in between. You know, giving them options, it's not a yes or no. It's not a I'm mad, I'm happy. It's okay, well, here's your options. Now choose what option you want. And then again, like we were saying before, anything that you choose is always right. 
because that's, you did it because you thought it was right. So, you know, she chooses what she thinks and all of a sudden you're back into where it was and there's no loss of expectation because you changed the expectations on job site. I like that approach. I hadn't really thought of that. I, I hadn't really thought of like, for me, I'm, I would have been cringing at the situation of having to say, uh, just so you know, this is what your estimate actually included. It didn't include this. Like I've always kind of been on pins and needles, but I like that approach where you're like, well, no, this is what we uh, communicated to you. Um, and now that we're here on site, we can see that there's a significant difference. Here's what we can do. We can do yeah. this. We can do something in between. Speaking of mistakes and lessons, if you could go back to an earlier version of yourself, you know, back to, you know, I don't know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, what do you, what would you have liked to have known back then? Man. Well, a big thing is that um, it never, it never is as hard as it is in the beginning. It's like uh, a car that breaks down. Like the hardest part of that is to get it moving in the first place. So once it's actually moving and you're pushing it off the side of the road, it does some of the work for you. So in the beginning, it's just night and day hustle. You're just, you're, you're, you're slamming your fist against the wall to try to like get this thing going. And then all of a sudden something kind of happens that's good, but then you're going back to doing this and it's, it's never as hard ever again as it is in the beginning you'll always have issues it'll never be a piece of cake that's why you know we all lose our hair and go gray but it it never is as hard as it is in the very very beginning i think a lot of people lose that's why people quit doing it in the first place they do it for a little while and go yeah my customers my area it's just it's too saturated there's too many people in my area you know it's just yeah. it, it kills you it's hard to keep that you know that perspective, that outside of the box perspective, and it's easy to be like really focused on the granular, um, being able to zoom out on occasion and just try to keep things in perspective is, is, uh, not an ability that everyone has. Um, and sometimes it just, it shows up later after you've already been in the business for a while. Um, so yeah, that's definitely, that's definitely a hard lesson to learn. Um, you know, sometimes we still freak out when on occasion we break a window or on occasion we make a mistake and but then you just, you just have to go with it and it's not the worst that can happen. And so, um, so, yeah. so, so that was one thing you could, you would go back and tell yourself, what are a couple of other things that you would teach yourself, your earlier version of yourself? I would, I would hustle more in the beginning because in the beginning, it was like, oh man, I made, I made 200 bucks today. That's crazy. That's more than I ever made, you know, doing this or whatever the dollars were. If I would have known now that, you know, if I would have hustled, I, I tell people, if you work eight hours a day, every day, even if you don't have eight hours of work to do, you're going to be that much farther ahead, right? A lot of us go, well, I had an hour of window cleaning today. So I watched some TV and I did this. And it's like going back and having that extra hustle there to go, Hey, I had an hour of work, but I did seven hours of like cold calling and marketing. And I worked on my business that eight hours, the rest of your company all is built compounding on what you do. So if for some reason you could land 10 new route accounts right now, well, guess what? For the rest of your history, you're going to have those 10 and everything that's built on top of those 10. Now everybody around those 10, see your truck. Every one of those people tell their friends for the next 10 years, right? Every, 
everything is built compounding on the beginning. And the slower you are in the beginning or the less you put into it in the beginning, the longer that kind of swoosh happens towards the end. And, and that's what I did. I, I was, like I said, I was guilty of going to play, you know, Nintendo during the day when it was like, you know, slower, we didn't have anything. And like, ah, tomorrow I'm going to make some calls or, you know, like I just, I didn't put it as serious as I could have in the beginning. And when you see some of these guys who it clicks for them, like uh, Chris, the owner of WCR, he did a book on, you know, how his business started and how he did it. Like one day he realized, hey, if I did this job, if I could just sell another one of these jobs, I would double my income. I would earn another $80,000 a year if I could just do that. So all of a sudden when that clicks in your brain, then all of a sudden you change your mindset and everything that comes with it. And the rest of your company for the rest of history is all built off of what you did in the early stages. So that, you know, so that's pretty valuable because I think, you know, we don't think about what that hustle looks like necessarily. Not, I mean, it's, you don't really think about the numbers and if you just were able to focus a little bit more, I know there's a lot of things I can do right now to improve my hustle. Um, you know, I've been wanting to make a more organized list of all my reoccurring clients and I've been wanting to create uh, like a subscription type service. I've been wanting to, um, I have been wanting to create a service plan, an actual service plan. And up till now, it's all been verbal. So here's what you're going to get if you see us quarterly. Here's what you get if you see us semi-annual, but there's never been a contract. So I know that, I know that if, for example, for us, August and February tend to be the slowest months. Um, it's just, that's when people are going back to school or that's just, it's just a cold time of year. There's for some reason, those are the slowest time of month. But if I go three months before February, or if I go three months before August and I really push the semi-annuals or the, or the quarterlies, and I really provide that incentive, then I know that I'm suddenly filling that gap. And that slow season is no longer going to be a slow season. It, yeah. It's going to be the new fast season. And so um, what are some of the things that when, when, you think of the word hustle, that's cold calling. What other things go with that word for you? Well, hustle is like, in my brain, everybody gets demotivated, right? Like, route is really hard to sell. Like, if you are out there door knocking, it's like selling vacuums. Like, you're going to get 10 no's to one yes. Like, that is the truth. You have to just kind of keep up and you have to somehow get yourself into a place that you can keep going. That's why hustle is so important. I can teach you how to clean a window. I can teach you how to do my accounting software, but I can't teach you how to hustle. If you're either a go-getter or you're not, you know, and that's the hardest part is the people that try to go that route. Um, you lose a lot of motivation through business, especially in the beginning, like I said. So having that hustle allows you to just keep your head up and keep positive attitude on something that you have no control of. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, let's see here. So we asked the question about what you would teach yourself. Um, then we talked about books, but you said that you, you were like, well, you listen to more to like audio books and podcasts. I was just curious, what are some of your top podcasts yeah. and go to, um, do you, do you have any favorites? You know what I've switched? I, so I have a lot of uh, audio stuff because of my business ADD, like everybody's got, I do listen to a lot of uh, things and I don't retain what I should be retaining, but I have found that uh, 
Facebook groups are actually where I'm getting most of my like value from and not just industry Facebook groups, but I'm in a, like sales groups and I'm in like um, uh, motivational groups and things like that where you're getting constantly inundated with a lot of other information that you can either choose to look at or not. And that kind of helps my brain. And I think a lot of stuff comes into theory and kind of bettering yourself from all of that. that. That's my replacement for books, really. Yeah, I, I like listen to um, sometimes I listen to the news, but I've, you know, like many people have gotten burnt out on the news. Um, yeah. So I've I've tried to limit my news intake to like, you know, I'll listen to the BBC or I'll listen to like a quick little daily Texas specific news and then I'll switch gears to maybe an audio book or, or something to that effect. Um, <clears throat> it's weird how sometimes like, like I'm way more physical. I'm not a very cerebral person. So like when I go back to a job that I hadn't been to in about a year, I'll actually remember, I don't know if it's because I put a lot of physicality into the job, but like I'll remember what I was listening to during that job. Like, oh, wow. I'm pretty sure that there's a couple of episodes that I was listening to WCR Nation. I was like, that's so weird. I remember the way that those windows are laid out and they're set back from the garage. And I was listening to Jersey when I was cleaning those windows. It's so weird how that kind of comes out. But um, yeah, that's your I, learning style. That's 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 where you tailor how you learn. Like, you look at other people, don't tailor yourself to how anybody else learns. You do it to how you can, you know, figure things out like that. It's, it's different. So, so I know that you've got a lot going on right now. Uh, so we'll go ahead and com conclude the discussion. But I was just curious, where do you see yourself five years from now? Like, what are some of the, what are some of your current goals and aspirations? Yeah. So I really, really like the position I'm in. Obviously, for um, you know media and stuff, we can get kind of burnt out at times and and you know feel that. But I really, really like where I'm at, and I don't know what that will mold into as far as content for me goes or for working how I'm working with WCR, but I love what I'm doing now. You know, the most exciting thing about um, business is the beginning and starting business and hitting chapters and Hey, guess what? I'm getting my first truck. Oh man, that's awesome. I'm getting my first water fed. Right. So I get to experience that all the time. So like every day there's people that I get to feel like I'm actually doing something and, I don't know. I really like where I'm at and I, I have not thought five years ahead to uh, where I want to change or what I want to change, I should say. Yeah. I mean, you're in a pretty good spot. I mean, you said you just bought some property up there in North Carolina you, or you like to spend some time in the mountains and, yeah. and, and if you're happy doing what you're doing, then there's no real need, need to, you know, try to, you know, forecast five years from now. Like for us, I think we're trying to build, we're trying to get ourselves out of the field and be able to uh, just have a steady um, get into a more of like, I'm going to sit here and look at the notebook and I'm going to try to, to make those call, cold calls while my team is out there um, doing the good work. You know, our goal is to get out of the field and work on the business rather than in the business. That's the kind of what yeah. we're working on right now. Um, we love responsibility also. That's something that we purchased a while back, but weren't really using as much. And now we're utilizing it much more. So that's something that we'll be um, incorporating much more into our business. I know that there's ways you can do videos through Responsibid. Um, and I think that you can actually, going back to the customer expectation, I think that you can actually weave in all these explainer videos into Responsibid 
which we haven't figured out how to do yet, but we want to go to Responsicon soon. We want to check it out, how we can build that automation into our business. Cause right now it feels like we're just saying the same things over and over again. Not exactly sure mm -hmm. it's sticking, you know? Yeah. Well, that's, that's the big thing is like, uh, once you're out of the field, like window cleaning is not the most important thing in your window cleaning company. It's the business side of it. It's the building the business. Once you're not doing the window cleaning, you then can do all the rest of the stuff that makes sense in the business, like building your business, like selling more jobs or learning response about, or getting your systems more in place or building your marketing. Doing yes. all of that is more important than the actual cleaning of the glass. So for the ITF listeners, what, what can you tell them about um, WCR Nation and um, how they can access it? And what are some of the upcoming shows that they can be excited about listening to? Yeah. So anywhere podcasts are available or if you're a watcher on YouTube, I more have a face for radio, but hey, they're there either way. Um, but uh, you can check it out there. There is over three years of content. We put a new one out every Friday and we haven't missed a Friday yet in three and three plus years. I don't know. I'm not going to do the math. Uh, so there's a ton of content, some better than others, but uh, there's a lot of information out there. We'll be sure that when we uh, post this on, um, on our Facebook group, we'll uh, include a link to WCR nation. I'm sure that there's already several people that um, pay attention to it, but thank yeah. you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. And um, I'm looking forward to bumping into you again when we go to the next convention. Uh, whichever whichever one we end up at but um, <laughs> i'm going to be listening to catching up on some of those episodes because i i need to i've gone back and looked at some of the newer ones you've put out and i need to check that out so but nice. thank you again jersey i uh, really enjoyed our discussion and um we hope you have uh, enjoy the rest of your week awesome thank you thanks for having me yeah absolutely all right thank you